Good evening. If you turn your Bibles to the book of Judges, the book of Judges, we're going to be finishing up Judges tonight in our Sunday school classes, our Sunday Bible classes. We are at the end of Judges. We're about to start Ruth and go into to Samuel. And so uh, we don't get to talk about chapters 17, 18, 19, and 21. So if you would, please turn to those chapters, 17, 18, 19, and, and 21. We're going to be looking at, at those chapters tonight and finish out, finish out Judges. Um, I want to start off with a question. What would it take for you to lose your religion? What what would it take for you not to be a Christian anymore? What would it take for you to give up on the church and leave her forever? By the end of Judges, the children of Israel, they're losing it. They're losing it. After the events and death of Samuel, the children of Israel continue in this downward spiral in many places. Since the book of Ruth, it takes place. We're going to get into the book of Ruth next week. It takes place during the time of the Judges. We'll see some people who, who still love and respect God. They're a bright spot in the, in the darkness of the world at that time. But... In chapter 17 to 21, we mostly mostly see the decline of their faith in a massive scale. It's massive. Some of the things that we're going to talk about tonight, I don't really don't want to talk about. It's so bad. There's a tangled web that's been woven by these these children of Israel, and it's going to have reverberations throughout the rest of of their existence. In Judges 17, basically this guy named Micah, I'm just going to summarize these chapters for you. There's a fellow by the name of Micah. He basically steals his mama's money. He steals his mama's, he steals his mama's silver. And she had cursed the money. So he had heard about the curse of the money. So he gives the money back. And she's so excited. She's so excited that she takes it to a silversmith. And she has an idol made by the silversmith. A silver idol made. And then Micah takes that idol and he makes up his own religion. He's kind of mixing Jehovah God with this other religion that he's made up. And then all of a sudden this Levite comes, this Levite from Bethlehem comes and he, he's looking for a place to live. He's looking for a place to work. And Micah says, well, why don't you come and be my priest? I'll give you such and such amount of year and, and I'll make you like one of my sons. And he does. This young Levite priest goes in, and now he becomes the priest of this false religion. Again, he mixes his religion with his belief in God. Judges 17, verse 6 is a telling, telling verse. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Micah's made up his own religion. Then in, in Judges 18, while that's going on, in, in Judges 18... Uh, there's a tribe of Dan, and they're over against the coast, over by the Mediterranean Sea. And that was their allotment. That's what they had been given. They had been given this land by God. 
All right? And, but when they went into the land, they had never driven out the Philistines that were there. They never really cleared it out. They kind of just started living with them until the Philistines just became so overbearing that at this particular time, the Danites, the, the tribe of Dan, it wants to move. It wants to move so far away. You can see from the map there where Dan is, where Judah is, where Dan is. And, and Ephraim, Ephraim, that's where Micah is. That's where that guy Micah is. And, and so the Danites, they take, a, they take a, a, a crew and they say, we want y'all to go out and they travel all the way up there looking for land that they can take, looking for land that they can escape their oppression from. I mean, this was land that was allotted to them. What would it take for you to give up your land? What would it take for you to give up your house? What would it take for you to give up your family's land? They gave up their land to the godless Philistines. And as they're, and as they're, uh, they're leaving, uh, they, as they left their inheritance, they take Micah's idol, they, they travel through uh, Ephraim, and they take Micah's idol, and they take his Levite priest with them all the way up to the north to Dan to live. While that's going on, Okay, while all that's going on, we get to chapter 19. In this same place, in the mountains of Ephraim, uh, there, there, was a, there was a man who lived. He was a Levite as well. He lived in the far reaches of the mountains. And he had a wife slash concubine. And she left him to go be a prostitute, to go be a harlot. She went down to her daddy's house in Bethlehem. That would be down there near where Benjamin is and Judah is. She leaves him to go and do that. Now, this is the chapter that I don't like talking about very much, all right? He goes and gets her. He travels down to get her. And they stay at her, his father-in-law's house for quite a few days. So finally he says, listen, I've got to go home. And he, travel, he travels home, and he wants to stay uh, by. He wants to travel uh, and, and stay at a place. But Jebus, they travel by that. The Jebusites are there, and the man says, "No, they're not the children of Israel. We're not going to stay there." So he, he, they divert themselves, and they go to they go to Geba. It belongs to Benjamin. If you can see where Benjamin is there, it belongs. So they, got, they know they're going to be safe now. They're with their brothers. The children of Israel. And they go to the town of Giba and they stay in the town square and nobody will take them in. And it's getting dark. And finally this, this old farmer comes and he says, why haven't you guys found a place yet? And, and so he takes them in and he's going to take care of them. But then the men of the city, they're, they're, they're Benjamites, they come and say, hey, bring him out here so that we can know him, so that we can have him sexually. And the, the old man says, no, we're not, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's terrible. Please, don't, don't do this abomination. That's awful in the sight of God. And yet they, they keep clamoring. He says, well, I'll give you my virgin daughter. Here, you take my virgin daughter. He would rather give his daughter than his guest. That was the, that was the way it was back then. You took care of your guests. But he doesn't do that. The Levite sends out his concubine. And they use her all night long. Concubine comes crawling back to the steps of the house. And the Levite goes out. She's, she's collapsed right there. He takes her. It doesn't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's, she's dead or alive yet. 
I really can't understand from the wording. He takes her and he cuts her up into 12 pieces and he sends her to all the tribes of Israel. And they're like, what is this? They couldn't believe it. Just like I can't believe even talking about it. It's just nasty to talk about. Even then, they thought that was just awful. And they have this big meeting. Why would you do that? He tells them why they did it. The Benjamites did it. Well, you go on into, you go on into chapter 20 and there's war with the Benjamites. Because they're backing up their, their boys in Geba. They're backing up what they did. There's war, there's insults, there's oaths that are happening. In this war, when we come, come next week, Naomi's, both of Naomi's sons die in this war. Okay? They're fighting for the wrong side and they die in this war. Ruth loses her husband, her first husband in this war. Okay? Only 600 Benjamites are left alive. Only 600 Benjamite men are left alive. Judges 21, verse 25, again, just sums up chapter 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What would it take for you to leave God? What would it take for you to say no to New Testament Christianity? Athens Clay Pulius is this man's name. According to restorationmovement.com, he was at one time one of the most powerful men in the state of Tennessee. He was president of David Lipscomb College from 1946 to 1977. Some have said that his influence was so widespread that if he had chosen, he could have been elected governor of the state. He was a gospel preacher for many years, and the website says that he was beloved by all who knew him. I was talking with Doug uh, this morning and later on this afternoon at the nursing home, and Doug was there during that time, the 1976, 77 years at David Lipscomb College. During those years, 1976, 1977, some things happened I won't elaborate on. Doug wouldn't elaborate on them. Um, so, you know, I don't have all the facts, and I'm just not going to speak ill of the dead. But suffice it to say this. Brother Pullius had had enough of the church. He joined the Presbyterian denomination. His actions were mainly the reason Willard Collins became president of David Lipscomb College. This is from an article, a 1979 article in the Restoration Review by Leroy Garrett is the guy's name. All these years he has been a defender of the faith, a protector of the true church, an exposer of those who veer from the old paths, such as the Belmont Church of Christ in Nashville. He was so loyal to the truth that he disciplined his faculty members who chose to attend Belmont. But lo, he who once kept the faith has departed from it. He has gone not to Belmont, which is after all still within the churches of Christ, but to the Presbyterians. As my Oida has a way of saying, when the impossible happens, well, what do you think about that? Could you or would you leave the church today and what would be the reason why? 
the headings, the chapter headings in Flavel Yeekley's book, Why They Left, listening to those who have left the churches of Christ. Just the, the, the chapter headings are very telling. Listen to these. Here's one reason. Doctrinal differences and misunderstandings. We could, we could all see where that might happen, right? Doctrinal differences and misunderstandings. Number two, neglect. They were neglected. I'm reminded of a lady here, Brother Eddie, you and Miss Eileen went to visit me with her after she left the church. You remember? And it was back during the flood. You remember when we had the flood here? And that, that spring before, that spring before, she had had some cancer treatment, and I went and visited her when she had her cancer treatment. And then she came home. But during the flood, I was so caught up in doing things with people and the flood and all that, she had another cancer treatment, and I didn't come. And she claimed, she says, I was the one, I was the reason why she left. I neglected to go to see her. And so she left. Some people just don't fit in. They come here, they don't find any friends, they feel like an outsider. Uh, Divorce and remarriage issues, those are huge for reason people leave. Leadership issues, they don't like the preacher, they don't like the elders, they don't like something going on in the leadership of the church. Um, evangelism issues. Here's the reason why folks, what Brother Flavel said, uh, evangelism is because they're doing too much. Too much evangelism, I don't want to be a part of that. That's too much work for me. Music issues. The role of women. And finally, just inner hurts. Family, friends, infighting, depression, Attention, nobody's, somebody's getting too much attention. Fight or flight issues. Would you leave the church for any of these reasons? The church faces many dangers today that threaten to destroy the faith of weak Christians. Ignorance is huge. Ignorance is huge. Just not knowing what the Bible says is huge. But we must, 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Old and young Christians, we face worldliness. As Christians, we are commanded, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17, through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world's passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So we've got to tear ourselves away from this worldly way of thinking. That lust of the flesh, that lust of the eyes, that boastful pride of life. To me, one of the biggest dangers is compromise. We compromise on a lot of things sometimes. We're warned, Ephesians 5 verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. We can't compromise with the world and be right with God. We can't compromise our worship. We've got to do what the Bible says in, in our worship. We can't compromise on that. We can't compromise on sin and say that sin is okay. 
just because one of our own is doing it. Probably the biggest danger because of the tentacles. The tentacles of this beast are just far-reaching, so long, and that's indifference. Indifference. Wes McAdams, he, he wrote an article, Why Nobody Wants to Go to Church Anymore. That was the name of the article. Some of you might have seen it. I, I shared it on, on Facebook. According to, the, to a Hartford Institute of Religion Research study, less than 20% of Americans attend worship services every week. Why? Well, here they are. Number one, they don't want to be lectured. Tired of being lectured. It's all you do when I get there is you just tell me how wrong I am. Tell me how bad I am. Tell me what i got to do to change. Number two, they, don't, they, they, they see the church as judgmental. Number three, they see the church as hypocritical. And they see the church as irrelevant. Brother McAdams, he writes, For a Christian to say the church is judgmental, hypocritical, and irrelevant is for that Christian to call himself judgmental, hypocritical, and irrelevant because he is the church. When Christians don't understand they are the church and see the church as an institution which can either choose to support or not, they lose the entire concept of Christianity. Jesus pointed out, Matthew 12, verse 30, He who is not with me is against me. If you're not for Jesus, you're against Him, right? My preaching friend, Donnie DeBoard, he, he, I posted this on Facebook as well. He posted an article on Facebook, it was the number one reason for decline in church attendance by Tom Rainier. Number one reason for church decline, and it simply stated, the number one reason for decline in attendance is that the members attend with less frequency than they did just a few years ago. This matters a lot. He gives, some, he gives some numbers. Check these out. If, if the frequency, frequency of attendance changes, then attendance will respond accordingly. For example, if 200 members attend every week, average attendance is 200. But if one half of those, if 100 of those members miss one out of four weeks, the attendance drops to 175. Did you catch that? No members left. No members left mad. No members left the church. Everyone's still relatively active, but attendance declined more than 12% because half the members just slightly changed their pattern. The Bible again, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another And so much more as you see the day, the day that Jesus Christ is coming back. That day is approaching, brothers and sisters. For Israel to leave, for them to leave, it took three things. It was three things that it took for the Israelites to leave God, to leave their religion. Number one, it was idolatry. On a personal level and a tribal level. Micah, he he makes up his own religion and, and the tribe of Dan, they follow it. 
This is just to lay the groundwork for later when King Jeroboam, we've been talking about it in Doug's class on Wednesday night, King Jeroboam is going to come to the, to the northern tribes of Israel and he's going to start a whole new religion for them. And it was easy for them. Why? Because they had already left God. They'd already left God. You know, it would be easy for me to go into denominationalism if I thought denominationalism was okay. It'd be nothing. Immorality, again, on a personal level, on a tribal level. Chapter 19 is so bad, I don't even want to talk about it today. And infighting. One of their brothers, the the, the brother Benjamin, one of their brothers was almost totally annihilated by his other brothers. There wasn't but 600 of those boys left. They were almost wiped out. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, that boastful pride of life. That's what it took for the children of Israel to lose their religion. What would it take for you? I think that we could all agree there's a great need for our faith to increase. How does that happen? Well, just like we said this morning, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, we need to read, we need to study, and we need to obey God's Word. I believe we could all agree that we'd like to be part of the solution and not the problem. Don't you? When we look back at Judges in that record, we can see a big problem from stumbling blocks. Stumbling blocks are something that stops you from doing what you want to do. And Micah, he was a stumbling block. The perverts of Gibeah, they they were stumbling blocks. The oaths taken by the children of Israel against the tribe of Benjamin, they were stumbling blocks. Depending on the context, some stumbling blocks are okay though. And some are not. Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. So the gospel of Christ is an acceptable stumbling block. If the, if the gospel makes you stumble, that's, that's, a, that's a good acceptable stumbling block. Then he warns, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block for those who are weak. We must be very careful with the weak brother or sister. And we've got to go out of our way to remove the things that would make them stumble. And because they're weak, ultimately lose their religion. Jesus, in a passage that we rely on to resolve conflict. If you don't mind, turn there. Matthew 18. Jesus, He, he, he uses this uses this chapter, and it's, it's, a, it's a conflict resolution chapter. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 5 says this, Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Now, many scholars think 
Many expositors think, let me put it this way, many expositors think that maybe he was holding a baby on his leg right there. Maybe he holding a little baby. But that's not, that's not what, what the word means. When you go back into the original language, this word could have, is used for a child that is 12, at least 12 years old. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me so they, it's not just a baby. This has got to be someone who believes in Jesus, okay? Whoever, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for them if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. Now, using the example of a child, this principle carries... So much further. I know we're using the, the, the principle of the child, but it carries so much further. The child in this passage, like I said, could be someone that's at least 12 years old, knows right from wrong, is old enough to believe, is old enough to sin. How terrible it would be if one of us put a stumbling block in their way so that they lose out on salvation. How terrible it would be for anyone who is just coming to know Christ or, or has known Christ for years. And us, we would put a stumbling block in their way so that they would lose salvation, lose their religion. Woe to that person. Woe, if I'm that person, it would be better if a millstone, one of those big, huge stones, bigger than this pulpit, were hung around my neck and I was thrown into the depth of the sea. What would happen to me if I was thrown into the depth of the sea like that? I would just sink. And that's what, it'd be better off for me to do that. How can one be a stumbling block? Well, you can be directly... You can directly be a stumbling block. You can be somebody who persecutes somebody directly. Ridicule someone. I remember once in a different life, it seems like now. I remember I was at a beach. And the sun was setting. And outside this restaurant slash bar setting, there were some people who were asking folks if they wanted to study the Bible and they wanted to be baptized. And there were people sitting all along the beach. And there were people out in the ocean being baptized. And I saw a fellow who was asked that. I've never seen somebody... Throw a conniption before, but he threw a conniption. He screamed at that man, just screamed these vile, ugly, terrible things at him. And he was a Christian. Ridiculing, opposing, dissuading. Oh, you don't need to be, you don't need to do that. Oh, you're not. Oh, do you even know what you're doing? Or we can do it indirectly just by not living the life, by being a hypocrite in our own lives. We can indirectly be a stumbling block to someone when we don't live the way that Jesus wants us to live and other people see us living that way and they say, well, if that's Christianity, I don't want any part of it. 
what would it take for you to recommit your life to God? What would it take for you to obey the gospel tonight and be baptized into Jesus Christ? What would it take? There are no stumbling blocks in your way right now. The way is clear. Come forward as together we stand and sing.